Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Let's worship together.
That was a little abrupt, but that's all right. Would you stand with me as we continue worshiping together, as we proclaim together the mighty name of Jesus who has come to us, Emmanuel, God with us to break the power of sin and death. Amen. Sing this with me this morning. Raise your voice. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. And you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set
We never uh, get tired of hearing uh, the story of grace and what Jesus has done to die on the cross for us. Amen? Amen. What an awesome blessing that is. Thank you so much for being here this morning, and we want to welcome all of you to worship this morning. Thank you for choosing to get up today and come and be a part of worship here at Pitts Baptist Church. Uh, it's important that we do that, that we're here uh, to worship corporately. We want to encourage even those that are online. Uh, we want to provide that for folks at home but to encourage you to come and be a part of what's going on in this room, in this building with uh, your people, with God's church. It's important that we do that and have fellowship together. Uh, so if you are here today and you're a visitor, I see a lot of new faces today. We ask each one of you to please take one of the care cards. It's located there in the pew rack and just in front of you. Uh, take one of those and, and there's pens that should be there with, with those. Fill those out. We want to know uh, if you want information from us. We want to know you and get to know you. And thank you for being a part of our worship today. And then on the back of the care card for all of us is a place to fill in prayer requests. If there's something going on in your life and you would like our staff to be praying for you, take a moment, fill that in. That's for everyone. As you leave today, we have two new white boxes. They're hanging on the, the columns right near the center door. Uh, you can place those in that slot there, and we'll make sure they get the, to the right people and be praying for you uh, even this week. But thank you again for being with us. A couple of announcements. Robert Simmons is our regional representative for the North Carolina Baptist Foundation, and he will be with us next Sunday, February 5th. Uh, we will have a box lunch provided and meet in the core gym for a meeting to answer questions like, do you have a will? Do you have an estate plan? Did you know that there is a way that you can give even after you're in heaven uh, to churches or, organi or, or an organization that you designate? We'll be talking about all of those things. It's free. But we need you to fill out and sign up uh, at the information desk to make sure we know you're coming. They have enough lunches provided for that. Again, that's next Sunday. We'll be down in the core right after this service uh, to talk through those things. And a lot of the services even provided are free through our state convention. And then also, if there are some other things, uh, he can give some referrals at some really good prices to make sure that your house is in order. Uh, it's important that we do that uh, and make sure that we have things ready for when we go on to heaven and our family is still here. Our men's basketball league starts a week from Monday. The deadline to sign up is today. Uh, we would uh, also love to have some men to coach mentor these teams. If you would be interested in something like that, please see me or Kevin Knight if you're interested. Uh, but again, sign up is through today. Uh, our seniors will be heading on a road trip tomorrow to tour the Bible Broadcasting Network in Charlotte. We'll be leaving at 10 a.m. in the morning. Lunch is on your own for the day. Be back at 4 o'clock. If you have questions, please see Donna Phillips. And then our family camping trip to Teen Valley Ranch is coming up on March 17th to the 19th. A $50 deposit is due by February 19th. You can sign up at the info desk. There's also information sheets there that you can pick up. Our intern applications for this summer 
uh, college students, uh, college age students, if you're interested, those are due back by Wednesday, February 1st. Uh, you can go to the website at pbcweb.org and just click on the link to get one of those applications. And then representatives for our ladies' ministry uh, will be at each of the doors as you leave this morning. Uh, they have information for their year, the theme of things that are coming up to give to the ladies so that you know what's coming up and can be involved in that. A lot of things happening. would encourage you to go to our website and get the Friday Blast. A lot of this information comes out. You can go back and look at it and know all the times and dates of things coming up. But at this time, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you would just take a moment to get still before the Lord, and let's take just a moment, get quiet and pray, and you lift up your needs before him and this service. And remember our youth too, our youth are away on a ski trip. They'll be traveling back today, uh, this afternoon, that God would give them safety. Let's pray together silently, and then I'll pray uh, with us out loud. Let's take a moment to do that. God, it is an awesome privilege that we can just speak your name and come into your presence. And God, you say that you hear our prayers. That's humbling. And I think one day when we know the difference that our prayers made, we probably are going to wish that we prayed more. And God, I pray this morning that in this service, our hearts would be attentive to what maybe the Holy Spirit would want to say to us today. God, I know that Pastor Scott has studied his message this morning, that you've given him a word from the scripture, and I pray that you would use him in a powerful way this morning. It would not just be about his words, but God, that the eternal truths of the scripture would sink deeply into our hearts to the point that they would change us, that you would change us, God, if need be. God, we thank you for the visitors that have chosen to be with us this morning. We pray that if they are searching for a church home, that you would lead them and guide them. It's not pits, God, to the right one. God, we pray for those that may have come to church here today and don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That maybe today would be the day that your Holy Spirit would call them. And God, we pray that they would say yes to the Holy Spirit and become your child even today. God, be with this service. We pray that you would be honored and glorified by it. God, be with our youth as they travel back from their ski trip, their retreat this weekend. Give them safety, God. Just let this service be pleasing to you. Give us a great day today. We, have, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen.
Amen. Find Mark chapter 9 in your copy of the scripture, please, as we continue walking uh, through the gospel of Mark, the shortest of our gospels, and uh, looking this morning actually at our 25th message as we're walking through this little book. As you find uh, Mark chapter 9, I do want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, uh, today is the last day to give towards the Lottie Moon uh, offering for international missions. Uh, you have given so incredibly uh, generously this year. And uh, we thank you for those gifts. Every dollar you give to uh, international missions through Lottie Moon does get to the mission field. And so again, uh, just thank you for your uh, commitment to this. One other thing I want to mention, uh, we do want to remember the family of Melinda Edgerton, who uh, her, her dad passed away this week, so just continue to remember this family uh, during their time of grief and loss. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, The Ambition to Serve, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading uh, verses 33 down through uh, verse 37, uh, talking about who is the greatest. Uh, the scripture says here, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, that is when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes and our hearts this morning. And open our minds to your word. This is your word. And God, I pray that you would challenge us, convict us, encourage us. And Lord, that as the body of Christ, we would indeed be servants as we follow the footsteps of Jesus, the greatest servant of all. And yet he was the Lord of glory. Surely he set before us this example. Father, I pray this morning that we would seek your face in our lives. That we would turn to you. Lord, we are reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. That your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts and your ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. And Lord, I pray that today you would bring us into conformity. To your desires, to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> you 
You know, in preaching class, in preaching class they tell us if you're going to tell a story to introduce a sermon or to introduce a topic, one story is sufficient. You don't need to pile up story upon story. One will do. And so this morning I have two for you. I think you'll understand. When Anastasia Elsinger of South Dakota ordered a lunch delivery one day via DoorDash, she didn't expect to receive her order from somebody that day in uniform. Since delivery apps usually don't enforce a dress code. But when her order came to her door, it was being delivered by a man in blue. You see, minutes before, Officer Sam Burr had just pulled over Elsinger's delivery driver for a traffic violation. <laughs> but because the delivery driver had an active warrant, Burr was required to immediately make an arrest. But rather than let the food go undelivered and go to waste, Burr took a few minutes to finish the job of the driver. Now according to police department information officer Sam Clemens, moments like this are more common than the public may realize. Clemens said it's not like we have officers though that are out delivering food. But little things like this, going above and beyond, helping people out, that's the things that we do. Elsinger said that when she saw that the app driver was still a few blocks away. She was dismayed about her food being delayed. Well, seeing Officer Burr walk up her steps was such a pleasant surprise. She shared the clip on TikTok where it's since been viewed more than 11 million times. She said there's such negativity in the world right now. I was like, more people need to see this servanthood and take a second story potentially even more costly we all remember when the Japanese nuclear plant was heavily damaged by the tsunami back in 2011 but what you may not realize is that 200 Japanese retirees volunteered to fix the nuclear crisis what was their motive? Well, their motive was so that young people would not have to go into the danger. The leader of the group, Yamada, said, I'm 72 years of age now and probably have 13 to 15 years left to live. I've raised my kids. I've lived most of my life. And so myself and others like me thought that we would step in and fill in for young people who still have their lives and the raising of their kids uh, ahead of them. He, he goes on to say, even if I were exposed to radiation, cancer may take 20 to 30 years or even longer to develop. And so the older ones, with the knowledge to fix this, we've stepped in 
to potentially save the lives of younger workers. Servanthood. Serving others, humbling ourselves. We know that's definitely not a subject that is very popular in our culture today. Our culture values strength and power and prestige and money. A person is not judged by the number of people he or she serves, but by the number of people that they exercise authority over. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, things are to be different. He said on one occasion, the Gentiles love to lord it over you. But in the kingdom of God, the one who is last of all and servant of all is the greatest. Jesus took the value system of the world and he turned it upside down and he stood it on its head. And let's see how that's developed today in our text. And what we're going to see is that humility and service is what God looks for and what he blesses in a person. I want you to notice first of all this morning, true greatness is not achieved through selfish ambition. Look again verse 33 and 34. When they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Beginning back in verse 30, Jesus has just spoken to them about his impending death. And he told them that he was going to be rejected and he was going to be killed. They didn't understand. Well, from there they embarked upon a journey. They began walking to Capernaum. And during the journey to Capernaum, there was a a bit of a spat going on between these grown men. And what is it that they're arguing about? They're arguing about who among them is going to be the greatest. I suppose with Jesus teaching about his death, they were thinking that something was about to happen soon. Jesus taught about his death, his burial, his resurrection, then his coming kingdom. Other places in the Gospels clarify for us what these men were thinking in their minds. They thought that Jesus was about to overthrow the Roman rule and immediately set up his kingdom on earth right then and there and that he was going to rule from David's throne and so with Jesus talking about dying they must have been thinking okay we're getting close now to all of this happening and when all of this transpires what's our place going to be and so they're jockeying for a position We know that even on one occasion, James and John got their mom involved in this. I mean, who can say no to a mother, right? And so their mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my boys sit on your left and the other one sit on your right? Now there's something interesting going on in this section of Mark that we need to understand. If we were to look before and after this particular episode, 
that is, if we were to jump back to chapter 8 and then jump ahead to chapter 10, we would find Jesus on all three occasions speaking of his suffering and death. And each time Jesus speaks of his suffering and death, the disciples begin to speak about the exact opposite. Namely, they begin to speak in each case about privileges. It's as though Mark is reminding us a total of three times, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, that the disciples simply didn't get it. Jesus was speaking of service and suffering and death and they're thinking of privilege and exaltation. It may be that Mark is trying to show us how easy it is, even for us, to misunderstand Christian discipleship. I mean, just use yourself as an illustration this morning. As you think about your own Christian faith, and I think about my Christian faith, do our minds immediately begin to drift in the direction of the fact that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him? Or do we begin, first of all, thinking about the blessings involved in being a Christian? And don't get me wrong, yes indeed, there are blessings involved in being a Christian. But again, as you think about your own discipleship, what do you think of first? If I were to venture a guess, we probably think of the blessings and privileges first. And so lest we become too critical of the disciples, let's remember there is something about human nature that is filled with selfish ambition and pride. In thinking about what we, uh, what's involved in, in being a disciple, oftentimes we're not thinking about giving, we're thinking about receiving. And if we're not careful, our mindset can betray us. Revealing that we may be more like the world than we're like Jesus. You know, even worse, we see in Scripture where this faulty mindset comes from. It's definitely not a part of Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're told that God made us in His image. God created us in His image, male and female, He created them, Genesis 1 tells us. And we know that there is absolutely no division, no competition, no, uh, no jealousy that exists in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we know that Satan changed everything in Genesis chapter 3. And then we see in Scripture in Ezekiel 28, a passage of Scripture that many scholars say is describing Satan. Uh, the, the, the prophet Ezekiel is writing about the king of Tyre, but using it in typology, describing Satan. And he writes, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in 
in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed uh, garden guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst uh, of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in all of your ways until unrighteousness was found in you. He goes on to say there, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. A description of Satan's pride. And you see the devil wants us following his will. He wants God's people competing and arguing and fighting and pointing fingers and seeking after personal privilege. And we'd have to say he's done a pretty good job, right? I think of Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He warned them, if you continue to have this attitude in yourselves towards one another, you're going to end up absolutely biting and devouring one another, destroying one another and destroying the church of God. Because at Corinth, they didn't have the mindset of Christ. They were more like the evil one in their envy, in their pride, in their boasting. You know, Jesus told a story about this also with the, with the Pharisees. He said in Luke's gospel, let's say, for instance, that somebody invites you to a wedding feast. And you go into the wedding feast. Jesus said, don't go immediately to an honored seat. Because you go to the honored seat, the host might have to come in and say, Oh, you, that seat was reserved for somebody else. Here, you need to move down here. And, and Jesus said, To your shame and embarrassment, you're going to have to leave that more honored seat and, and, and go down to a lower seat. He, he said, Instead, when you go into a feast like that, go to the lowest seat. And then the host might come in and say, What are you doing there? And he'll move you up. It's easy to see how in society, again, people, people like the honored places, the honored seats. We see it in politics, don't we? We see different politicians tooting their own horn and, and, and their own accomplishment. And everybody in society seems to be aiming for that top seat. And it's nothing more than pride. Pride creates an atmosphere of resentment. Why is he getting that job? Why is she getting that job? Why is she getting that promotion? Pride creates division. Who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than me? Pride has everybody choosing up seats, uh, 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 choosing up sides. Worst of all, it, it deceives, it, it leads people to believe that others are supposed to be thinking about us. Pride kills marriages, it damages work environments, it even creeps into churches. And it destroys the heart of the individual himself. We know better, 
But still, this is an attitude that creeps in far too often. And folks, all of this was very much a part of the disciples' culture as well. You see, in rabbinic writings of the time, they often spoke of the seeding order that will exist in paradise. And you've probably read of the Qumran community, the Essenes, a very strict religious sect that got tired of the temple. They, they felt like uh, things associated with the temple in Jerusalem maybe had become too corrupt, too political. And so the Essenes withdrew to the Dead Sea area and formed the, the Qumran, uh, Qumran community. And even in that community where they were so focused in on the law of God, they emphasized that everybody had a certain class that they had been assigned to. You had the priest of all, uh, the priest first, and then the Levites, and then everybody else, the laity. And they said you just simply need to accept whatever class that you're in and realize that you're never going to move up, you're never going to move down, you're in that class. That's your assigned place. And so you can see that the disciples are thinking very much like their culture at the time. But again, these guys had been around Jesus long enough, they knew better. And that's why when they finally get into this house and Jesus says, what were you guys arguing about on the way? The Bible tells us here they were silent. William Barclay calls it the silence of shame. They know that they've been caught. They didn't think Jesus was listening. Jesus must have been walking on up ahead of them and they're kind of hanging back and they're just arguing and grumbling again thinking he's about to usher in the kingdom and who among them is going to be the top dog and they're arguing about that but now they realize Jesus did hear after all he knows all things and they're ashamed and Jesus uses this as an occasion to teach them a very important lesson and that's what I want you to see secondly and that is that true greatness is achieved through humility and service. Verse 35 says, He sat down and called the twelve. He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives, uh, receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. True greatness is achieved through humility and service. That's the lesson that he wanted to teach them that day. I want you to turn with me a minute over to Philippians chapter 2 because in Philippians chapter 2 it's also the attitude that the Apostle Paul was trying to get the church at Philippi to understand. There in chapter 2 Paul says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now look at verse 3. He says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others. Does he even say equal to yourself? 
No, what does he say? Consider others even superior to yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. How revolutionary is that? He's telling the body of Christ. Don't be jockeying for the best of everything and position where you receive everything. But be thinking of others and how you can honor others and, and, and encourage others. And then Paul gives the greatest example of all. He's telling the church at Philippi this. And who's the greatest example of all in this? It would be none other than Jesus Christ. And so he goes on in verse 5 to give Jesus as an illustration of what he's just said in verses 3 and 4. In verse 5 he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, if, G if anybody had the right to claim first, uh, it would be Jesus, right? But, but look at what he did. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What did the Son do? He humbled himself. What did the Father do? The Father exalted him. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. He has ways of putting down the proud. This, this coming Wednesday, we're going to look at Daniel 4, the case of Nebuchadnezzar, who looked out over the Babylonian kingdom and said, Wow, look at what I've done by my power and by my might. And the Bible says at that moment, God stripped the kingdom from him and did not give it back to Nebuchadnezzar until Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself before God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God says the first shall be last and the last first. And the greatest shall be the one who is the servant of all. God has ways of reversing things. And to illustrate this, what Jesus do? Jesus put a child in their midst. Why a child? Well, a couple of reasons, I think. First of all, they needed to understand, we, we need to understand that in the ancient world, children had absolutely no clout whatsoever. That's different today, isn't it? Today, an adult Sunday school class will meet under a tree or meet in a, a stairwell if the kids can have the best class, classroom. 
But some of you grew up probably a lot like me, some, especially some of you seniors back years and years ago. Children were to be seen but not heard. And if you were both seen and heard, you probably got a whipping when you got home, right? <laughs> Children back then had no standing, no clout, none whatsoever. Children and women both had no standing in ancient societies. And so what's Jesus' point in, in putting a child in their midst? He's pointing out that we are to serve even those we might consider the least among us. Sometimes we don't have a problem serving the important. What if tomorrow morning at your office... Let's say you get a phone call from somebody real high up in the company. The CEO or somebody that's way up. You, maybe you don't even know, know, you didn't know they knew your name. And they say, hey, I need you to do something for me this week. You're going to move heaven and earth to help that person out, right? You're going to do everything you can do. Wow, they called me. What if you hang up the phone from talking to that person? Janitor walks in, says, hey, can you do something for me? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to you later. Jesus is saying you can gauge your heart by your response to the one who has no clout whatsoever. But I think there's another lesson here too in putting a child before them. Putting a child before them, using a child as an illustration. Nobody serves a child thinking that the child is going to be able to repay them in some way. You see, sometimes we might serve somebody thinking, oh, what are they going to do in return for me? You know, I'll pat them on the back. They might pat me on the back. I'll do something for somebody who can do something for me in return. But nobody is going to serve a child, a little child, thinking that that child has any capacity whatsoever to do anything for you in return. You don't even serve a child with that kind of mentality. What are they going to do for me in return? They're a child. They can't do anything for you in return. And so serving a child is an example of service out of the purest motives of all. You're serving just to serve. You're serving from the heart. Even if you never get a pat on the back for it. That's how we're to serve. You know, it is enough to know that God notices. Jesus told another parable about this that, that seems rather harsh to some people, but it's a principle we need to understand. He told, about a par he told a parable about a slave coming in from the fields, and before the slave could get any rest for himself, he takes care of the household, he takes care of the master, then he's finally able to relax himself. And Jesus said, what's the attitude of this servant to be? Is he to think, look at me, 
Where's my recognition? Where's my thanks? Jesus said, no, that servant has only done what he was supposed to have done. Sounds harsh. But what Jesus is saying is we're to serve because it's the right thing to do if nobody notices. It's our duty. It's our responsibility to serve. It's enough that God knows. We don't need any recognition. And when we serve this way, we have only done what God asked of each of us. We shouldn't serve thinking that all of a sudden confetti is supposed to come falling down out of the ceiling because we've done something. We're to be content with the fact that God will one day give rewards. And so we are to serve purely without any hidden motives whatsoever. Now, you know, somebody might be thinking this morning, why in the world would I want to live by Jesus' standards? You know, I kind of like the world's standards. I'd sort of like to make a name for myself. People serve me. Well, if that's what you're thinking, I want to remind you that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are you going to exalt self, or are you going to exalt Jesus? You see, folks, what is at stake here is following Jesus. We're not talking here about preferences, what you and I would prefer to do. We're talking about what's involved in being a Christian. What's involved in following Jesus. You know, it's easy to claim that that we're a Christian with our lips, but on one occasion Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do the things that I say? It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief. It's a matter of choosing Christ or choosing self. You see, you and I can choose self. It's a free country. If you want to choose self, you can choose self. You can choose Christ. But what you and I can't do, what we're not free to do, what we don't have the liberty to do, is choose self and Christ. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. He said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his very own soul? Well, the good news is the disciples finally got it. The question is, Will we? I want to give you some takeaways. First of all, our motives for doing what we do must be examined in light of the gospel. Our motives for doing what we do must be examined in light of the gospel. Is life about you? Is church about you? Is family about you? If so, I want you to see that ultimately you'll lose. 
You can gain pats on the back of everybody around you, but the fact remains that the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our motive must be simply obedience with the ultimate goal of glorifying God by allowing, G- by allowing others to see Jesus in and through us. So again, we've got to examine our motives in light of the gospel. A second takeaway. The Christian life is to be one of humility. And let me specify some ways that you and I are to humble ourselves. And we know that it starts with salvation. You see, you can think all day long that you're good enough to make it to heaven the way you are. Surely God will let me into his heaven. Or God, look at what I've done or what I'm doing. And if you continue to think that way, one day you will be shoveled out into a Christless eternity as you hear God say, depart from me, I never knew you. In salvation, we know that we have to humble ourselves before God. We have to have the attitude of the publican who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Christian life is to be one of humility. Also, another example of humility in the Christian life, in addition to salvation, would be Christian service. Don't just look for the places to serve that are the most visible. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I'd love to do, I'll do this in the church or that in the church. You know, there might be some glory in that, some attention to have in that. But I don't want to do that over there. Let, Let somebody else take care of that. But what did the Apostle Paul say to the Corinthians? He said, sometimes the, the gifts that people have, the service they do from those gifts that is the most out of sight is what ends up being most valuable to that church. Humbly serve wherever God calls you to, regardless of the fact if you'll be noticed or not. The great orchestra conductor, Leonard Bernstein, or Bernstein, he was asked on one occasion, what is the most difficult instrument in all of the orchestra to play? And with quick wit, he responded, oh, that's easy, second fiddle. He said, I can get anybody to to play first violin, first cello, first trumpet, first oboe, but to find people who will play the second and third parts with the same passion and gusto, he said, now that's the challenge. And yet if we don't have second and third chairs, there's no harmony in the orchestra. Humbly serve wherever God calls you to serve. Regardless if you get attention from it or not. Also, humble yourself when it comes to reward. Don't assume that everybody's supposed to reward you. For the believer, the reward's going to come one day at the Bema seat of Christ. That's where the rewards come. If no one rewards you now, 
Again, just know that God sees your service and He will reward you one day. And hopefully that's enough. That's sufficient. And then a third takeaway. Begin repairing breaches. Begin repairing breaches in relationships around you that you've caused because of arrogant or proud attitudes and actions where you've been anything but a servant. Begin repairing breaches in relationships around you that you've caused because of arrogant or proud attitudes and actions where you've been anything but a servant. If you're anything but a servant, I dare say if you'll look back over your past, there's probably a string of broken relationships. And as a Christian, you need to get busy trying to repair those relationships. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this powerful lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples. Lord, we see that they were men, men with uh, feet of clay. And so oftentimes... We see in ourselves that we're just men and women with feet of clay. Forgive us that we often conform to the world more than to Christ. Lord, I pray as Paul says in Romans 12 too, that daily we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, that we would understand your word and what you've taught your disciples and the attitude that we're to live with, that we would have the ambition to serve. God, where we've not had that ambition, maybe where pride or arrogance has blinded us, God, forgive us. Forgive us. And Lord, I pray that we would have more of the heart, the mindset of Jesus. The one who deserved everything. And yet they mocked him, rejected him, and put him on the cross. And he humbled himself to that. But God, we know that you exalted him. May we have the mindset of Christ. Knowing the reward will come from you one day. God, I pray that this text would would be a watershed moment for somebody in here this morning, perhaps who serves out of the wrong motives. Lord, bring them to a place of repentance. Lord, I pray that each of us would be encouraged to be obedient to you in terms of service. Wherever you place us, whatever you have us doing, that we would do it with all of our heart to the glory of God. And Lord, I pray for that one this morning that all they've done is serve themselves all their lives. They've never bended the knee and surrendered to Jesus. I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would move upon them to do that today. And that you would change them from the inside out. That they would leave here a different person. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.